going on, Next Level Church? Yeah, wow. Woo! Come on, we are so glad that you are here. My name is Matt Keller. I'm the lead pastor here at Next Level Church, and I just want to say happy Mother's Day weekend to every single one of you moms. You make us so much better than we ever could be without your presence in our life in so many ways. And so this weekend is just our small little token of appreciation. You deserve it all year long, moms. But thank you. Thank you so much for believing in us. Believing in the next generation, that's what we're talking about this weekend. Believing in the next generation. I love the fact that we couple Mother's Day here at Next Level Church with our child dedication. Because this is our opportunity twice a year when we do this child dedication thing for us to to look into the next generation. For so many of us in the older generation, if you will, moms and dads and grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, relatives, neighbors, every single one of us who, who are older than the kids or the generation that we're dedicating, this is our opportunity for us to kind of recalibrate our compass, to recommit to investing in and believing in the next generation. And that's what we're actually going to be talking about on this Mother's Day weekend. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to a really, really important and vital passage of Scripture found in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you have your smartphone or if you brought a Bible with you or wherever you're at, listen, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter one is kind of toward the back of your Bible. So go in and go to the far right. And you'll find actually two books. We know them as books. They were actually letters called First, First Timothy and Second Timothy. And I'll be honest with you, for most all of my life, I've kind of been the young guy. And so uh, the books of First and Second Timothy, I can really relate to those. And I've really just found so much strength and encouragement from these letters that were written from the great Apostle Paul to his spiritual son in the faith named Timothy. And so uh, when I, I've always kind of been that young guy, so to speak, in the crowd. Um, I, when I was 16 years old, I started a Bible club in my high school. And I was the young guy. I was a young leader. When I was 18, I graduated, turned 19, uh, and I became the youth pastor of my local church while I was going to Bible college and, and business school. And uh, so I, I kind of just I, I was that. And then at 23 years of age, I uh, took a position as national youth director for a small fellowship of churches. And my wife and I began traveling nationally. And I was the young guy. And everywhere we went, you know, we were like, man, you're so young, man, you're so young. And then we started Next Level Church 10 years ago when I was 26. And everybody, you're so young, you're so young. And I tell people now, I tell other church planners, we didn't know how young we were, but we were too young to know how young we were. That's, that's how young we were when we started our church. So here's the deal. For all of my life, I've kind of been the young guy. And so eventually, after uh, the longest time of people being like, man, you're so young, you're so young, you're so young, finally Sarah and I were just like, let's just play to it. Let's just go for it. Let's just do it. So the books of First and Second Timothy have always been such an encouragement to me because Timothy was a young pastor. He was a young leader who was leading a great move of God, a church in the city of Ephesus. And God was blessing that thing, pouring his spirit out. And so Timothy was just trying to navigate through this, these, these rough waters. And so he needed a, a leader like the Apostle Paul who would believe in him, a member of the next generation. And so where we pick up the story, uh, that's where I want us to begin reading, is in this second letter that Paul was writing to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, to Timothy. So he's writing to Timothy. My dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Verse 3, look what he says. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Verse 4, recalling your tears. I long to see you, Paul wrote to Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy. Here's the thing. We're talking about this idea of believing in the next generation. And the first thing I I want you to notice, and if you have your bulletin, I would love for you to fold it all the way out on the inside left flap. You'll find a few fill in the blanks or some thoughts as we navigate the next few minutes of this talk together. If you want to write this down, here's the first thing I want us to notice about the, the apostle Paul. And it's this, Paul had a heart for the next generation. The Apostle Paul, this great leader of the faith who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, had a heart for the next generation. He called Timothy his dear son, his, his true son in the faith, even though he wasn't a biological son to him. Listen, Paul believed in Timothy. His heart was to see Timothy succeed. He was a leader who had a heart and a passion for the next generation. And you know, if I'm being honest with you, as I look across the landscape of my life over the last three and a half plus decades, here's what I've begun to realize. Not just is true in my life, but it's also true in every single person that I come in contact with their life as well. And it's this, no person succeeds unless someone else wants them to. Have you ever noticed that? No person succeeds in life unless someone else wants them to. Unless someone older, someone wiser, someone from, from a, a, that has a step ahead of them wants them to succeed. I think about my life all the way back to fifth grade. I was in fifth grade in, in elementary school in Indiana, and uh, our high school music, our high school in our town put on a musical called The Music Man. And there was some parts for children. And so they came to our elementary school and they said, if you want to try out for these parts, uh, you got to go through an audition, singing and whatever. And so I did. And Mrs. Bratton, my fifth grade music teacher, believed in me. She saw something in me and I got cast as Winthrop, this boy part in the music band in our high school musical. And that decision, that moment, that open door of opportunity, that belief from Mrs. Bratton changed the entire direction of my life. We were a sports family and I still love sports to this day. But that moment in fifth grade, from that moment on, suddenly the world of drama and music and guitar and theater and the stage kind of explains a lot, doesn't it? Changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. I think about my music teachers all through high school who were our choir directors. They saw something in me in fifth grade. And for the next eight years, every single year, they let me be in every play and every musical in our town in our high school, and, and that shaped me, singing and dancing and, and acting and learning to play guitar, that shaped who I became, because they wanted me to succeed. I think about when I was 19 years old and had just graduated from high school, started Bible college, and my first pastor, he believed in me. He saw something in Sarah and I, and he believed in us, and he allowed us to be youth pastors. And then I remember having a conversation with a, 50, a 50-something-year-old guy, and casting vision to him and talking to him and sharing my heart about, about the next generation and my generation in the church world. And him looking at me saying, Matt, listen, the small fellowship we're a part of, they need your voice. And he opened the door for me to be able to become a national youth director at 23 years of age. God opened the door for that. And he used this guy who I'm still friends with today. And then when we moved here, I I think about the fact that just a few months into our church plant, we were just struggling to figure it out. 
And a man by the name of Billy Hornsby, who is the founder and creator of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which is the network of churches we're affiliated with today and we serve in leadership in today. Billy Hornsby, nine years ago, came here. And he was here on a weekend when we were still at the Bell Tower Movie Theaters. And at the end of it, he spent the afternoon with us, teaching us and our team and pouring into us. And I remember he, we took him to the airport and dropped him off. And we went back to our house and we had our team meeting that night. And I remember sitting around the table looking at our team going, I really think Billy believes we can do this. And it was the belief of a man like Billy Hornsby that helped Next Level Church and Matt Keller become who I am today. And here's what I believe. I believe that every single one of us can go back through the stages, the phases of our life, those key turning point moments in our life, and we'll recognize that there was a leader, there was a person of influence in our life who gave us a leg up, who opened the door for us, who who allowed us to come along with them, who believed in us. And it shaped our story. So I think the first application for us is twofold. Number one, here's the first challenge in an application I would throw out to you this weekend. What could it look like for you to find that person and tell them? Maybe it looks like finding them on Facebook. Maybe they, they've, they've since passed away. What could it look like to find their, their, their next of kin, find one of their kids or their spouse and simply write them a handwritten note or send them a, a message over Facebook? And just let them know, listen, thank you for believing in me way back then. You changed my life. What could that look like? Imagine what that could mean to someone who believed in us at a pivotal crossroads moment in our life, who believed in us when we were the next generation. What could it look like for us to go to them somehow and say thank you? The second application of this, in this idea that Paul believed in the next generation was, is this, who in our world needs us to be that for them? Who in our world needs us to open a door for them? Who in our world needs us to believe in them, to see something in them that they perhaps can't see in themselves? Yeah, maybe it's, it's the, the salesperson, the salesman or saleswoman in, in your department, and they see you as the competition, But you look on and you know because you're kind of older and wiser and you've been doing this longer than they have. And you kind of know, you know what, we're actually not in competition here. Let me, let me help you. Let me give you a leg up. Let me, let me throw a couple of counts your direction just because I think it'll set you up for long-term success and prove to you that we're on the same team. Maybe it's a classmate and and someone that you're in, in class with today. You look across and they need help. They need someone, a, a, a peer, to come alongside of them and say, hey, come on, let's study this together. Let's work together on this project. I think we'll do better together than we would do apart. What could it look like? Maybe, maybe it is a son or a daughter that you need to believe in. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it, it's, a, it's a, your past, your kids are grown, but maybe it's a grandchild or, or a nephew or a niece. Maybe it's those kids who play street hockey on your, on your street. And the next time you go by and you're tempted to be like, "Mm, get out of the road, right? What if, instead of honking at them and being like, get out of there, what if you rolled down your window and we're like, hey, good shot, man? Or whatever it's called. I'm not a hockey guy. I don't know. What could it look like? What could it look like for those people in our world who need us to believe in them? 
in some small way in the next generation. See, Paul was a believer in the next generation. And continuing on, verse 5, he writes this to Timothy. He says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Here's the second point I would love to make this weekend, and it's this. The next generation has sincere faith. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how little kids have the most innocent, pure faith? Have you ever noticed that that when you ask a kid what they want to be when they grow up, that they, they tell you they want to be an astronaut or a president? And yet, why, when we look around our world today, do we not have more astronauts and presidents? Well, it could be that the president keeps killing the astronaut programs, but anyway... No, 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 that's not a political statement. Except maybe it is, but it's not. It's not intended to be. Don't, no, don't. Okay, okay listen, no, here's, here's the deal. Our children, our young people, man, they've got this sincere faith in them, don't they? Listen, there are some in our world today who look at the emerging generation with fear and trepidation and great concern. They look at the, the, the young people, our children, our teenagers, our 20-somethings, and they go, well, our nation's going down the drain. Can I just go on record as saying I am not one of those leaders? Absolutely not. Listen, here's what I want us to understand. When I look at the emerging generation that's coming up in our nation, in our world today, I have great hope. And here's why. Because this is a necessary, planned for, and protected generation. Never since before the Great Depression has there been a generation emerging in our nation, much less our world, with the self-image, the self-confidence, the self-esteem, and the connectedness to actually accomplish great things and change our world in positive ways. I believe that. I want to share something with you guys this weekend that I don't know that in 10 years of pastoring our church, I've ever shared in this context. I I share it when I travel and speak at leadership stuff and and do teaching on leadership things. But I don't know that I've ever shared it here in terms of our church. And I want to share this with you. Before Sarah and I moved to Southwest Florida, I did over a thousand hours of study on, on the generations, on generational patterns, generational cycles. Some would say that I'm a generationalist, like I, like I study generationalism. And here's what I discovered. This is fascinating. I discovered that it, throughout the history of the world, all the way back to Bible times, in, in European history, Asian history, and American history, what you discover is that generations run in a four-generation cycle. Now, some people want to argue about how long a generation is, and according to Scripture, how long is it, and according to our world, how long. Here's what I think. Honestly, I think because of the speed that information is increasing and technology is increasing the amount of information, I think the generational cyclist pattern, year-wise, time-wise, is actually shrinking. I think that's actually possible. Here's, so watch this. Here's what I discovered. I discovered that throughout the history of the world, generations run in a four-generation cycle. And we currently, are in the United States of America, are at the end of a fourth-generation cycle. Let me explain it to you. The first generation, there are four generations alive on the earth today. The first generation that's alive on the earth today is what we would know as the builder generation. Tom Brokaw called them the greatest generation. This would be, for many of us, our grandparents, those people who are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. They are the builder generation. Now watch this. They are a first generation in the four-generation pattern or cycle. And in a first generation, we know of them as the builder generation, lived by this motto. Anything we can do, we'll do. Anything we can do, we'll do. 
And so the builder generation had one house, a one-story house. They had one car. They had, by and large, one job. They lived in one town. They were married one time. Anything we can do, we'll do. Now, the second generation, we would know them as the baby boomer generation, looked at, and this is true of any cycle, but I'll give you the illustration in our modern time. The baby boomer generation, the second generation in the pattern, looks at the first generation and lives by this motto. Anything you can do, we can do better. And so the baby boomer generation, a second generation in the four generation cycle, looks on and says, you had one house, we'll have two houses. You had a one story house, we'll have a two story house. You had one car, we'll have two cars. You had one job, we'll have two jobs in our lifetime. You had one marriage, we'll have two marriages. Anything you can do, we can do better. That's the second generation mindset. Now watch this. The third generation, which we would know as Generation X, I would consider myself to be on the tail end, like the last year or two of Generation X. So I am a third generation. Others know this generation as the Bridger generation. We know it as Generation X. And Generation X, the third generation, down through the annals of history, third generations are always a dark and rebellious generation. And so watch this. The third generation lives by this motto. Anything you can do, we could care less about. (laughs) That's our generation. That's the Bridger generation. That's Generation X. We even labeled ourselves non-labeled. X. What's up now? Our hero musically was Kurt Cobain from the, the rock band Nirvana. What did he say? Here we are now. Entertain us. That's the motto of a generation. Watch this. It's a dark generation. I'm going to prove this biblically here in a second. And the fourth generation in a four-generation pattern throughout history is what we would know as the millennial generation. And the millennial generation would basically be, and again, people argue about dates and times. I'm not so worried about that as I am about generalizing the idea because I think it has great commission implications, which we're going to talk about in about two and a half minutes. Okay, so the fourth generation in a four-generation cycle, we know them as the millennials, would basically be those who are about 28-ish years old, down to about those who are 10 or 11 years old, right in that kind of range. And the fourth generation, watch this, looks at their rebellious, dark, lazy, we'll lay on your couch as long as you'll have us, mom and dad, brothers and sisters, and says, watch this, here's their motto, all the things you didn't do, we look forward to. This is true patternistically throughout the history of the world. Here's what this means. This means, in terms of gospel implications, great commission implications, those of us who talk in those sort of realms, watch this. I believe we have a 20-year window of time for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to get to the ends of the earth. Because I believe this fourth generation, this young generation, this next generation, that there are hundreds of them in Next Level Church, and there are millions of them, over 70 million strong, in the United States of America alone. Listen, this fourth generation are the ones who have a self-esteem and a self-worth and a self-confidence that they really, truly believe they can change the world. Listen, older generations, we look on and think the world is big. Now, because of technology and their connectedness, the world is not big to the fourth generation. It's actually very, very small. And so they look on and they go, why can't we solve some of these huge epidemic issues in our world? Like clean water and health care. Why can't we solve these issues? So listen, I don't believe that our nation is headed in a bad way. I believe with the next generation empowered 
by Christian moms and dads and leaders and the older generations in the body of Christ, I believe we can change our nation. I believe we can change our world. I believe it. And man, can I just say this just parenthetically? I'm not, I'm not going to say because it it's on the internet. No, I'm really not. It's, it's too hostile to say. Here's, here's, here's what I think. It had to do with other religions who are already aware of what I'm talking about. Look where other main religions in our nation are putting billions of dollars. The children across the globe. That's why they're growing like they are and Christianity's falling behind. Lord, help me. Okay, watch this. Well, it's not your face, it's mine. You, you got to get this. Um, okay, here's, here's what I think. I think that there's a role that my generation, the third generation, is called to play. And it's amazing and fascinating that our culture actually labels us the Bridger generation. Watch, here's why. Because in order for the young generation to be empowered to live their dreams and, and change the world like they have the potential and ability to do, you know what they need? They need the wisdom and resource of the boomers. And so watch this. I believe that guys like me, my generation, in the Bridger generation, we are called to have one foot of relevance in the boomer generation and one foot of relevance in the young generation to be able to say to the boomers, hey, come on, all of that wisdom, all of that life experience that you've, you've acquired in your lifetime, all of that resource and wealth, listen, it's not just for you. It's not for your comfort. It's for them. So I believe my generation's role is to stand as a bridge between the wealth and, and wisdom of the boomer generation and inspire them to do something profitable, which is give it to the young people so that they can take it and go live their dreams. So watch this. I believe the role of the boomer generation is to leverage the wisdom and wealth that God has placed into your hands for them. I believe the role of the young generation is to keep believing that you can change the world even when the world doesn't want to hear your message. And I believe the, the role of my generation is to never allow ourselves to believe that it's about us. Because the danger is in passing the wisdom and the wealth from this generation to this generation, the wisdom is to keep it for ourselves and to build monuments unto ourselves. Where we change the world is when we leverage that for them. When we believe in the next generation. See, the apostle Paul believed in the next generation and he saw in them a sincere faith. That he said, a faith that's been passed down from your grandmother Lois to your mother Eunice. And is now in you, young generation. And young generation, can I just tell you, listen, you are in a church that has generations of passing down a sincere faith. And we want to recognize in you, young generation, that it is in you as well. We believe in the next generation. Keep reading verse 6. Here's what it says. For this reason, Paul writes to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What's Paul's encouragement? His encouragement is this, and number three, if you're taking notes, Paul encourages all of us 
to fan our gift into flame. Regardless of our age or color or background or experience, whatever, Paul says, listen, let me encourage you, Timothy, a young generation, as well as all of us. Listen, let me encourage you to fan into flame. Listen, how do we change the world? How do we become most effective in reaching lost people and empowering people and impacting the nations of the world, Southwest Florida, the state of Florida, our nation, and and to the ends of the earth? How do we do that? The way we do that is when every single one of us begins to realize how God created us, the giftings, the passions, the strengths, the talents, the abilities that he's placed inside of us, and then begin leveraging those for others' benefit and for his glory. That's how we become maximally effective. That's why here at Next Level Church, we created our Discover events. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find the information. They're they're happening Sunday night from 5 to 7. Our Discover events are uniquely designed with you and I in mind. And here's our heart. We believe a huge piece of why we exist as a church is to see every single one of us who call Next Level Church our home get out of the stands and onto the field. We want you to discover how God made you so that all of us can use our gift. Listen, I know and understand what my gifts and talents and abilities are, but I'm just one brush as we're painting this thing. We need every single one of your brushes, Next Level Church, Next Levelites, come on. We need you. We need you. That's why we have our Discover events, because in two Sunday nights, you can discover how God wired you, and you can just begin to Put your puzzle piece into this huge masterpiece of a picture that God is creating and and impacting the world through called Next Level Church. And Paul says, come on, fan that flame that God's put into you. Fan that thing in the flame. And then verse 7, he says this, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, And of self-discipline, number four, I I think it's so important for us as we're talking about this idea of believing in the next generation to understand that God has empowered us with everything we need to serve others for his glory. See, Paul's writing to Timothy, the next generation, and he wants him to know how much he believes in him. And he says to him, Timothy, here's what you gotta know, man. I want want, you gotta fan into flame the gift of God that's within you through the laying on of hands. And then he just speaks boldly straight to him. And he says, Timothy, don't go getting all fearful. Don't go go getting all afraid. Don't don't be cowarding away from this thing. No, 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 no. Listen, God's not giving you, Timothy, a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. God doesn't want you to walk out into a hostile world afraid. God wants you to walk out with power and love and and a a spirit of self-discipline on you, power. You know why? Because he knew Timothy would make excuses. He knew that Timothy, and our temptation, isn't it? Uh, That all of our temptation, human nature is to make excuses. Even some of us right now, even right now, you hear me saying this stuff this weekend and you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. But Matt, man, I just don't have the time. And Matt, I just, you know, I'm just not good enough. And I'm not smart enough. And I'm not qualified enough. My marriage isn't strong enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Listen, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, no, no more excuses, man. God's, God's given you a spirit of power to step boldly into all that he's called you to do and to be. Go confidently. Young Timothy, he says a spirit of power, and he says a spirit of love. Love speaks to the great motivation behind it all. See, here's the thing. When you and I start talking about and and, and processing through how you and I can make a difference in the world, 
all of a sudden, when we talk about how serving others and leveraging our gifts and our resources, our passions, our talents, our abilities, and we start talking that way, we have to then look a layer deeper to the motivation of our heart. Because if you and I are going to serve others for God's glory, then it really, at the end of the day, can't be about us, can it? We can't let our own selfish motivations get in there. And that's where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, listen, check your motives. Make sure that all that you do to serve others is not motivated out of you and any glory that would come to you, but it it would be motivated out of a spirit of love. And then the third and final thing is, he says, a spirit of self-discipline. Watch this. Some of us, we lack discipline in, in some areas of our life and we just can't seem to get victory there. Here's what I think the key could be for some of us. I believe the key for winning a victory in some undisciplined, unhealthy pattern or area of our life could be found in serving others. And here's why. Because when we get outside of ourselves, when we serve others, there's a greater level of accountability that's involved. Here's what that means. I I believe something supernatural happens when we serve someone. Here's why. Because it's impossible for us to put our eyes on somebody else and keep our eyes on ourselves at the same time. Listen, if you're struggling with depression or discouragement or you feel like you're in a funk in your life, listen, you, you want to know the fastest way I know to get out of, a, out of a funk in your life? Serve somebody else. Because you can't have your eyes on somebody else and have your eyes on yourself at the same time. I'm telling you, it's a supernatural exchange. And Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, listen, God's put a spirit of self-discipline on you. This, this disciplined mind that's available to you. If you'll step out of yourself, fan those gifts into flame and use them to impact somebody else. See, Paul was a believer in the next generation. And so... Here's my challenge to us this weekend as we reflect on Mother's Day and on child dedication, a time where we recalibrate and say, God, we're going to be a church. We're going to be individuals who are going to purpose our life to believe in the next generation. My challenge to us this weekend is this. Twofold. One, I think the challenge for those of you who are listening, who are a part of the young generation, and you know what, I'm going to let you define that. That's fine. If you're listening and you're a part of the young generation, let me challenge you. Keep dreaming. Keep believing. Come on, keep seeing things. Keep, keep thinking up ideas on how you could change our world. But then let me challenge you on the flip side of the coin, and that's this. Grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. Listen, I talk to so many young people who have just these huge pie-in-the-sky dreams. And you say, well, what are you doing now to prepare yourself for it? Well, nothing, man. I'm just waiting. Nothing. I'm just, God has an opening door. Listen, no. Grow where you're planted. I jokingly have said for 10 years or more now, never mistake those who do ministry with those who talk about it. Because they're worlds apart. Young people, listen, don't just talk about it. Grow where you're planted. I don't care how old you are. 
If you're an elementary student and you're listening to this, or a teenager, 20 listen, however, again, however you qualify young people, listen, here, I'm talking to you. Plug in, man. We need you. Get serving. Do it. A Pastor Josh, who's ahead of our family ministries here at Next Level, was just telling me this week a story about a fifth grader who helps lead worship in our kids' own environments every week. And he told me, he said, Matt, this kid is serious about it. He goes home, he practices the songs, he practices the moves and the motions that we do. And he said when he comes into his service, whichever one it is on the weekend, that he leads in, he said he's serious about it. And he walks in and he's getting everybody ready and getting everybody in line. Listen, come on, that's what I'm talking about. Next generation, let's go. We believe in you. Let's rise up. Grow where you're planted. Why? Because God will use this soil now. Jesus said it this way. Sow into another man's field. God will use this soil now to prepare your heart for that big dream that he's got planned for you. Trust me, I know. Because I'm living it. So that's my first challenge. My second challenge is for all of us, regardless of our age. Here's the challenge. I challenge you, Next Level Church. I challenge you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, coworker, boss, employee. I challenge you, man and woman, to begin to see yourself as a leader and influencer of others like you have never seen yourself before. I believe we can change the world. And I believe there's a generation that's emerging in our culture today who needs us to begin to see ourselves differently so we can begin to pour into them wealth and wisdom and experience and understanding and begin to open doors for them so that as the book of Proverbs says, we can make their paths straight and let the Lord direct their paths and let them run. I believe there's hope for our world. I believe it's emerging all around us. And I believe that as you and I, older generation, see ourselves as leaders and influencers like never before, I believe we hold within our hands the power to believe in the next generation and cause them to believe in themselves and believe that they could be the ones that God wants to use to truly change our world. That's my challenge. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this weekend, this amazing Mother's Day weekend where we celebrate moms and all that they are to us. God, thank you for our moms who believed in us even when we didn't believe in ourselves. And Lord, right now I pray for every single person who's watching or listening in this place this weekend. Lord, I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would begin to change how we view ourselves and you would cause us to begin to change even how we see the next generation. Lord, that we would stop looking on with condemnation. That we would stop looking on at those things that perhaps we don't understand entirely, like like cell phones and smartphones or Twitter and Facebook and think they're just wasting their time. God, help us to see that they're not. Help us to see that there is a generation that is connected beyond anything we could even have dreamt of 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago. And that God, somehow you're going to use that connection to change our world. So Lord, I pray in the coming days that older generations like Paul would say to the young Timothys around them, members of the next generation, we believe in you, we love you, and we're willing to leverage all that we are, all that we've been given, that you might take the flame of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We will dedicate our lives to that mission. 
God, we pray all of this in the name that's above every name. We pray it in the name of Jesus. And all those who agreed said, amen.